Are you content? If I could be honest, I would say I move in and out of contentment and really struggle to be content. You're free to listen to this message today, but it is aimed at my own heart. It's as if I'm trying to awaken myself to find contentment in Christ. And I'm going to go ahead and give you the conclusion of the matter before we even begin, and I'll put it up at the beginning and at the end. Here's a quote from Brian Loretz. Contentment is Christ-centered, not circumstantial. It goes from the inside out, not the outside in. Contentment is Christ-centered, not circumstantial. It goes from the inside out, not the outside in. All right, we'll come back to that at the end. We can take that down. Let me just kind of talk to you a little bit about why you may not be content. It could be that you're living the unexamined life, right? The unexamined life means that you are stuck in ruts and routines and busyness you have too much going on to examine what's going on in your heart work, right? So you're not content, but you're not quite sure why. You're just busy. That's not my issue. My issue is I don't live the unexamined life. I live the over-examined life. You ever see one of those NFL 360 cameras floating around a person or um, a GoPro all around me examining my life and examining what's going on? That's me. Almost all the time. I could be walking to a grocery store. Like I park my car, I'm walking in, and this is what I'm mumbling to myself. What am I doing with my life? What am I doing with my life? What am I doing with my life? I could be driving to pick up my kids, and I'd be thinking to myself, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Over-examining everything. And what's happening, it's, it's leaving me uh, not content. Why? Because I am looking at the circumstances and seeing if they are falling into place the way I want them to. And if they're not, I'm not content. Did I just describe anybody in here? Yeah. So what's the, what's the middle there, right? You have the unexamined life. I don't want that. The overexamined. How about the examined life? The examined life says, God, you are sovereign. I trust you by faith and your grace, and I rest in Christ. That's where we want to land, right? We want to land at the examined life. God, you're sovereign. I'm not. You're in control. You may bring things my way that sometimes that are they're difficult for me. I have pain. I have struggles, but I'm going to trust you, and Christ is enough to bring me through whatever. That's where I want to be. This morning, we're going to do something a little fun. We're going to study a guy in the Bible who lived the over-examined life. And he had the power, and he had the money, and he had the authority to pull it off, to make life work just the way that would fulfill him and make him happy and make him content. But what we will discover, that it left him empty. And it was all just trivial. Well, that's what we've been doing this summer. We've been talking about the trivial life, exploring and escaping the default mode of the human heart. Usually, we go through books of the Bible, 
We finished the book of Revelation in June, and next week we start the book of Song of Solomon, which will be fun. <laughs> but this morning, we're still on the trivial life, and we're asking this one question. Why did your heart and my heart and our lives often trend toward that which is trivial? I don't think anyone in here wants to live a life without meaning and significance. We want to live a life with purpose, but we often find ourselves trending toward that which is trivial. And the whole goal of this series is to push back against the trivial life. And I would say, if you're a follower of Christ, you have Holy Spirit power for the work that Christ has done on the cross, death, burial, resurrection, filled you with the Spirit, where you can say no to the trivial life and start to live what I like to call the weighty life. Now, why do we call it the weighty life? I call it the weighty life because when you think of God in all of his glory, his perfections, his characteristics, and who he is, we call that glory. And in the Old Testament, at times that word is the word heavy. When we think of God, we think he is heavy, glory, weighty. And when we live the weighty life, we live a life that reflects the glory and weight and awesomeness of God. And that's what we want to do. But even as believers, we find ourselves still trending toward that which is trivial. And when we do, we've got to say, okay, what's off in our hearts? What is off in our worship? Maybe it's a pride issue. It's an idol issue. What's off? Well, this morning, as we finish up the trivial life, we're going to look at one guy. His name is King Solomon. And he went all out for the trivial life. He went all in trying to find purpose and meaning. And we're going to look at his story today in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. See if you can find that. There is so much we could say on this book, and we will because we will be studying it in the spring of 2018, Lord willing. But this morning we're going to cover Ecclesiastes 2, verses 1 through 11. Will you mind standing and I'll read you the text? Ecclesiastes 2, starting at verse 1. I said in my heart, Come, Nile, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, It is mad, and of pleasure, What use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good for the children of men to do under the hip under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, 
all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. You may be seated. No one ever says that they're going to pursue the trivial life. I mean, most humans want to live lives of purpose and meaning, but often we search for it in the wrong places. And the perfect candidate to find meaning is King Solomon. Now, we're going to get into a lot of details when we study the book of Ecclesiastes in 2018, and some think that um, it's not the author Solomon here. It's uh, another author who uses the life of Solomon as a relevant example. Uh, Some think it was kind of like a literary device that the author used in order to teach relevant truth under the guise of Solomon. And we'll cover this more when we study Ecclesiastes in depth. But whether it's Solomon or someone speaking under the guise of Solomon, the thrust of what we have in the Bible is still the same. If anyone had the resources and the wisdom and the power to make life work. It was Solomon. Hey, look at verse 16 of chapter 1, if you have it open there. Verse 16 of of chapter 1, Solomon says, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. So he's got all the power and wisdom at his disposal to pursue a life of Meaning, he's going to live the over-examined life for sure because he thinks he can pull it off. Now, you may not have all the money Solomon did or all the authority he did or all the wisdom he did, but every single one of us tries to pursue meaning on our own terms and often apart from God. So, so far when Solomon tells this story, he's talking about all his endeavors apart from God. And if Solomon came to the conclusion that it was pointless, who are you to think that apart from God, you will find meaning and purpose? But we all go and search. So let's jump into verse 1. Check it out. Chapter 2, verse 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. He's going to pursue pleasure, possessions, and accomplishments. He's thinking, surely in pleasure or stuff or accomplishments, I'm going to find meaning and purpose, and I'll be happy. Let's see how that goes. Pick it up in verse 1 again. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? He concludes that All in his searching was vanity. This is a frequent word that you'll find in the book of Ecclesiastes, and it basically means pointless vapor. (laughs) God is not in the picture, and as you pursue things apart from God, it is a pointless vapor. It's there, and it's gone. What was I thinking? Pointless vapor. And we've all felt the pointless vapor-like nature of life. And we've all felt compelled to do something about it and try to make life work or fit. And Solomon has concluded that apart from God, pointless vapor. Now, that's his conclusion. He gives the conclusion up front. But now he's going to tell you what he did 
in order to come to that conclusion. He's going to tell you about all the things he searched out in pleasures and accomplishments and in possessions. Let's start with pleasure. Look at verse 3. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. Even though his mind was still guiding him with wisdom, he started to pursue alcohol. And he probably got drunk, and he thought, this is going to make me happy. Because I, I want my body to be happy. And one of the ways I can do that is through drinking alcohol. And he probably was getting drunk. And he concluded, as we've already seen, that it was vanity, a pointless vapor. We have the great King Solomon saying, yeah, I went out and I did a lot of drinking and I got drunk, but it was pointless. But that will not stop many people from trying to pull that off right now. I do wonder how long it takes the typical freshman in America that wants their parents kiss them goodbye. How long it takes for them to start drinking? It's 24 hours? 48? Four days? What do you guys think? About, about a week? The typical freshman. Hopefully, who the parents are here dropping out freshmen, hopefully not your freshman, but the typical freshman. It's not before long, the typical freshman is drinking up, hooking up, and throwing up. <laughs> How's that working for you? You find meaning and purpose? No. Vanity. Pointless vapor. And yet, many people... Just keep doing that as they age. They find comfort in alcohol and substance, thinking that's going to give them true meaning in life. And yet it doesn't. It leaves you empty. Well, hey, what about possessions? We know pleasures sometimes, they don't, that's not going to work. What about possessions and accomplishments? Well, look, look what Solomon says in verse 4. I made great works. I built houses. And planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions, herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. Oh, wow. That's something else. <laughs> and what have you done, right? See, I believe that what we have going on here, uh, if you pay attention, this is really going to be, it's kind of like, it's going to really open the, the scriptures to you. Solomon built houses, if you notice in verse 4, it says, for myself. Notice also in verse 4 that he planted vineyards, you see it there, for myself. This is not for the benefit of the community, but all for himself. He made gardens and parks, and he planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. He also created reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. And um, along with this, he bought slaves 
and owned animals. This is, this is getting kind of scary. Let me explain to you what I think he's doing. This is what I think he's doing to find meaning. In the book of Ecclesiastes, he acknowledges the fall of humans and God responds. But because the world is broken and twisted and lacking, the question is this. Who can straighten out this crooked world? And the answer is supposed to be no one can straighten out this crooked world. But Solomon says, no one can, but I can. No one can, but I can. And what we find him doing here is he's building gardens and fruit trees and watering system with buying people and owning animals. I'm just wondering, does this sound familiar? Yeah, it's, it, it kind of sounds like creation of the world where God had a garden with trees, watering system, people along with animals. God made paradise. Solomon feels the loss of paradise and wants to create it all over again. What's Solomon doing? Solomon is playing God. He's his own miniature sovereign. And he feels like that he can fix this crooked world, maybe reverse the curse. The earthly king Solomon at this point right here is separating himself from the true king in order to find meaning. He became his own little sovereign and sought to find meaning apart from the true sovereign. And I want to tell you, all attempts at creating Eden will ultimately fail. All attempts where you try to return to paradise will ultimately fall short of giving you satisfaction and meaning apart from God. I mean, just think about it. I know, I know a lot of you move a lot. And you're like, this is the time of your life. You're not really settled down. You're moving to a new apartment, and you're moving, I mean, sometimes out of the dorm and the apartment. And what you do when you move, you try to get your stuff set up. And you say to yourself, I'm just so disheveled until I get things set up. I'm just, I'm not going to be content. I'm not going to be happy. But once I get my stuff set up, then my life's going to start taking off, and I'm going to be content. And you're, maybe you're like 25. All right, I'm 45, and let me reassure you, that feeling often doesn't go away. I think to myself, you know, what if I create a little corner of paradise in my room at my house? I have this corner in my room, and I thought, I'm going to create Eden. I didn't say that, but I'm thinking that. <laughs> um, I have this old, dumpy desk, old, uh, dumpy lamp, and this sweet chair I bought at this famous furniture store called Menard's. And it's a home improvement store. It's really junky, actually. So I get there, and I'm chilling in my paradise, and these little invaders keep coming in to destroy my garden. That'd be my kids, right? And so we all have these thoughts. Like, I'm going to set this up, right? You think, you think to yourself, you know, once I get moving in this direction... Once I'm less busy, then I'm going to be content, right? Anybody ever said that? Or, you know, once, once I graduate from school, then life's going to take off, and I'm going to be content, and then it becomes once I get married, and then once I have kids, and once the kids move out of the house, and it keeps being the, the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. And, and here's the deal. If you have that mindset that you will be content once something happens, then you're never going to be content. 
because there's always going to be something else that needs to happen. And you're going to end up perhaps like Solomon, where you're trying to recreate this paradise to make life work. And you'll find that, hey, it's not cutting it. Let's see what else he does. We're going to finish it up here now. Watch what else he does. Look at verse um, 8 and 9. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines to the light of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Apart from God, what more could a man of the world want? He had money, good music, lots of sex, and fame. How much money did he have? More than you can imagine. How good was the music? Pick any singer band playing in his backyard. What about his sex life? I'm not joking. This is in the Bible. 1,000 women. Greatness? He was the greatest to ever hit the city. Had ultimate power and authority to pursue pleasure, possessions, and accomplishment. And when it was all said and done, it wasn't enough. Now, I know some of you are being very doubtful right now. You'd be like, you mean to tell me he had all that money and all that sex and he had all that power and authority and he didn't like it? You're lying. Oh, no, 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 no. He liked it. Look at verse 10. He liked it. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. He enjoyed it all. But he's not done with the matter. It's not enough. Like the song we sing, it's not enough. Verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Now, there's much more we're going to say about his conclusions when we study Ecclesiastes, but for now, understand that to him, apart from God, he was just bumping up against the sun. Do you get this? He's just, his life under the sun, there's no God in his mindset right here. Life was just a pointless vapor. He, he chased after the wind, never caught it, didn't completely fulfill him. And here's the kicker. He keeps bringing this up over and over again, which we'll see next year, is that he was going to die. And that's just it. You can spend your life pursuing these things, but there's two things that are going to happen. You will have a diminishing returns on your joys, and you're going to die and face God and have to give an account for your God-like trying to pursue paradise apart from him. Those are the two things that, that tend to keep uh, bothering Solomon, his death, and there tends to be this, this searching and searching but never being fulfilled. I was thinking about my, my son, and he was supposed to be in children's church, but he's here today. He, I won't say his name. He won't pay attention to what I'm saying. He's six years old. <laughs> um, he's, he's great. It's a lot of fun. Um, that boy likes to find uh, maximum pleasures and joys in a lot of things. And it often results in a little bit of destruction. 
okay? So yesterday I took he and some of my other kids to Little Beans Cafe in, in Evanston. I don't know if you guys have ever been there. It's, it's quite the place. I was chilling out reading, thought I would just relax. And, you know, there's little kids pushing around little fake vacuum cleaners. And there's other kids playing with dolls. Not my six-year-old. What he's doing, when I'm trying to read my own business, he's, he's grabbing plastic fruit Climbing to the top of the stairs and just throwing it down, you know, throwing it down the slide. It's a twisty slide, and I'm still trying to read, and he's trying to maximize his pleasures, and I'm not paying attention, and he's, I'm sure he's putting all types of stuff down the slide. He's climbing up, just throwing it down, and it's not my kid. What's going on? Just ignore him. Anyway, so I'm reading, and then I hear a huge crash. Huge. I'm like, what? What? Surely that's my son. And uh, I look over there. You know those cars that kids ride on, those big cars? Well, he's, he somehow took one of those, kid, those cars, climbed up the stairs of the slide, and just threw it down. <laughs> he's always pushing out to maximize the pleasures and joys of life. But it often ends in destruction. Because if you think about your life, there's this diminishing returns. And if you're not satisfied with the success at your job, you may push yourself to a point where it gets destructive. If you're not satisfied with the way your body looks, you might push yourself to a point where it gets destructive. You may have this one-night thing where you um, had some time with someone else inappropriately with Netflix and chill, and I do know what that means. And you repented of it, but it wasn't enough, and now you keep going back and you're in this cycle because you think that's where meaning is. There's a diminishing return on your pleasures, and not only that, you will die one day, and you have to give an account to God, and God is a holy God. And if we have tried to make our life work apart from him, and if we have tried to recreate Eden apart from him, if we try to set up our little paradise apart from him, then there is judgment. Because my brothers and sisters, I want you to know this. You can never return to Eden on your own. You can never get back to paradise because we are are fallen creatures. But here is the good news. God has made a way back to the garden. And the whole point of the garden is not the stuff. The point is not the fruit. The point is not all the excitement. The point of the garden is that's where God is. And that's where the fellowship with God is at. And that's where true joy is found in him. And the way that God has made a path back to the garden is only through his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came here in this broken and fractured world, and yet he was one who was perfect and never sinned. And he took all of our foolishness and all our ways of trying to play God upon him on the cross, and the wrath of the Father was upon him. He was buried three days later. He did rise from the dead. And now, in Christ, through repentance and faith in Jesus, there is a way to return to the garden to fellowship with Father, and it's through the finished work of Jesus Christ. He is the only way back to true joy in God. And now as we live our lives as believers, 
When we find ourselves trying to find meaning and purpose elsewhere, guess, get this. True joy, meaning, and purpose is found in Christ and Christ alone. He is our knowledge. He is our wisdom. He is our righteousness. He is perfection for us in God as we are accepted. In Christ, we can have parties now, not parties where we're getting drunk of wine, but parties where we're with one another filled with the Holy Spirit. In Christ, we have treasures. In Christ, we have everything. If you find yourself thinking that meaning and purpose is in your circumstances, keep coming back to Jesus Christ and remind yourself that in him is joy and joy alone. For he is sufficient and he is enough to fulfill you. And then we bring, come back to this concept of contentment. And you think, okay, what's going to make me content? What's going to make me happy on this earth in Christ? And for those of you who are living the unexamined life, you may think that uh, you're not even thinking about all the busyness and the ruts and routines that you were in. You're not paying attention to the heart work. And if there are people like me who are living the over-examined life, trying to squeeze as much as you can out of your circumstances while ignoring the heart work, you need to know it's all about the simple examined life where you trust in the sovereignty of God. By faith, you rest in Christ and Christ alone and what he can provide for your soul. And he starts to do this heart work. Now, if you're like me, One of the conversations I have with God is, God, why don't you just zap me, go ahead, zap me, so that I'll find contentment in you. I just want a quick, a quick zap. Just, I'm tired of pursuing the trivial life. I'm tired of trying to find meaning in these things that are pointless, that are vapors. Just zap me so that I will just find my meaning and purpose and joy in you. Zap me. Make me content. Anybody else want that? Just zap me. But it's not the way it works because contentment is something you learn. It's something you learn by faith. This is what the Apostle Paul said when he was in jail about contentment. Look at this. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I could just stop right there. I mean, if I could say that about my life, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. How about that one? I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. That is not a sports verse. Don't misuse that verse. That is not a test verse before you take your test. I can do all things through Christ. No, 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 no. Don't misuse that verse. That verse is saying, you know, when things are going terrible and hard, I don't have much, I can be content. You know why? Christ's power in me, I can make it through this. When things are going difficult in your life and challenging and you feel like you're at what? I can be content. Why? Christ's power through me. That's the right use of that verse. And the key is, it's not based upon your circumstances. If you're waiting for your circumstances to get better before you are content, 
you'll be waiting for a long time. Eternity, right? Let's go back to the original quote I said I would end with. Brian Loritz is a great pastor out in California. He says, contentment is Christ-centered, not circumstantial. It goes from the inside out, not the outside in. Do you understand that? Do you believe that? It's not circumstantial. It's not that the circumstances change and then, bam, I'm content, right? It's Christ-centered. It starts on the inside while I say Christ is enough. It starts here and goes out. Christ and Christ alone is enough. And when we focus on him, we live the weighty life that brings God the most glory. And in the midst of it, we also get satisfaction. Let's pray. Lord, I, I want to believe that you are enough. That no matter what I'm going through, or no matter what people are going through in here, you are enough. You fulfill, you give joy, you are sufficient. And I know there's some, some of my brothers and sisters in here who think that once they uh, move on to the season of their life and the busyness way stops, they're going to be content in you. And that's, let them know it's not about the circumstances. And I know some of my brothers and sisters are dealing with the hard things right now. They're dealing with difficult children, difficult parents. And even some people in here got some health stuff. They think, well, once the health stuff passes or my relationship with my spouse gets better, then, then I'll be content. Lord, I just ask you to show us that it's in you. It's in you. The true contentment is found. And may we not try to recreate Eden or paradise or make things perfect. Do all these things apart from you. It's an affront to you. We're going to be about you and your kingdom and find joy in you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.